You're listening to the Creekside Church Sunday morning message. And now, a message from Pastor George. Uh, Pastor Christina talked about uh, the harvest offering coming up next week. And it's, you know, the one time a year that we, we uh, dig deep and we reach out and we give sacrificially to many different missional objectives throughout, not just our local community, but our nation and our world. And it always uh, gets me pumped. And I, and I think I shared a story about this last year uh, when, there was a, when I was a youth pastor a couple of years ago. And here at Creekside, we did a harvest offering for you. CYC 180 uh, did their own harvest offering. And I remember this one specific student who was involved in leadership and a really great dude. His name was Will. And one uh, of the latter years we were doing harvest offering, he came to me and said, man, I really, I really want to give to harvest, but I just don't want it to be like I ask my mom for, you know, 25 bucks to give to the harvest offering or whatever. He said, so here's what I'm going to do. And this guy was a phenomenal guitar player. Phenomenal. Uh, and he still is, I mean, I'm assuming. And he, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my guitar, I'm going to go down to Pier 39, and I'm going to play all day with the guitar case open. And whatever I get, I'm going to give to Harvest Offering. And I thought, man, this dude gets it. This dude gets it. And then uh, this year, fast forward two or three years times a couple uh and you guys saw this because we promoted it harmony allison and audi took some time out of their thursday took off work set up shop in our multi-purpose room and they provided an environment for people to come and get their hair cut to make a donation to harvest offering over 40 people uh, came to get their hair cut and over $1,400 were raised for Harvest Offering. And I think that's awesome, and, and I, I applaud Allison, Harmony, and Audi uh, for doing that, and I know God's going to take that and do some pretty amazing things uh, with the generosity of the people. So thank you for doing that. Uh, and next week, we all get an opportunity to participate. I don't know if you know this, but last year... Uh, $177,000 were given to Harvest Offering. Just Creekside. And with that, we bought property for nine different churches in Africa. Uh, we were able, we, we gave money to New Day. We, I mean, uh, for those who were at the ABM, you saw the expansive list of people that, that we give this money to. This is money in and money out. And, you know, we haven't been able to give for a number of years because of the uh, pandemic, uh, but we're trying to play catch up now. And so every dollar that you give is, is going out to make, you know, to get it into the hands of people who are doing the work of God effectively. Because you and I, this church, we cannot be all things to all people, and we cannot do everything that God wants to do. But we will resource those who are effectively doing it. You with me, Creekside? All right, next week we get to do that. Uh, so today we're going to continue uh, part two of our message series called Live Generously. Uh, the big idea here is that as we become more aware of the needs around us, guess what? We, be, we become even more motivated to take some action. 
Walk with me here. I'm going to show you this. See, we're looking at, through this series, at a, this life-changing power that, you know, is a, is a life of generosity. We believe God has called us to participate with Him in His kingdom work in the world by blessing people around us, by, ta- that by meeting the needs of the people around us in a variety of ways. Now, if you missed last week, we highlighted many different ways in which we can be generous. We can be generous with our thoughts. We can be generous with our words. We can be generous with our money. We can be generous with our influence. We can be generous with our attention. And we can be generous, generous with our stuff, with the, with the things that we have. And as we said last week, I want to make it abundantly clear that generosity is far more than about money. Generosity is taking our entire life, everything that we are, everything that we own, and using that to bless people around us, to help people around you. Last week, we talked about the first step on this pathway to living generously. And and a lot of people misunderstood what I said, but it's this, see a need. Someone thought I was speaking Japanese. I'm like, see a need. (laughs) Is that some new form of sushi? Uh, The first step in this pathway is to identify a need, to see a need, to be aware, to be aware of the things around us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has helped you keep your antenna up. I hope the Holy Spirit has shown you and given you opportunities to be generous to the people around you. And this morning we're going to talk about the second step on our path to living generously. The second step. This morning I want to talk about action. I want to talk about action, activating our generosity. See, I really believe that the desire to be generous is important. But desire alone does not make us generous. I mean, I always tell our staff, and I live by this, having a plan doesn't accomplish the goal. Executing a plan does. You see the difference? See, if we want to live a generous life, then we have to move on it. We have to move on it. I mean, think about your efforts at some point in your life to become physically fit, to become healthy. When we look in the mirror and we, and we might see some things that we want to change. Anybody there? Anybody ever experienced that? Just me? But looking in the mirror and identifying those things that you want to change, that's a great first step, right? But if all we ever did was look in the mirror and never change our diet, never go to the gym, then we're not going to become a healthy person. We're not going to become physically fit. In order to drop the extra pounds that I carry around, I have to move, ready for this? I have to move from desire, and I have to put it in action. You have to start tracking your calories. You have to set aside some time and make going to the gym a priority. 
You you, you know, the same is true with our generosity. If we want to become generous people and live generously, then we have to do generous things. And we have to do them on and with purpose. So here's the question. What are you doing to be generous? What are you doing to be generous? What are you going to do today to bless another person around you? I mean, we want to be so intentional with this, and, and I believe it's something that we as a church should be known for. We even created these easy 24 steps. You could take one a day to be a more generous person today. We call it our Season of Generosity AOK card. They're available on the, the guest central table. If, if you need a little bit of help to go, well, how can I be more generous? Hey, we got 24 boxes that you can check off. One a day. Give a hug to somebody. Make someone laugh. Smile at everyone you see today. Give someone a ride. Pray with somebody. Write someone an encouraged note. Give someone a compliment. That's how intentional we need to be. And that card helps us learn how to move from desire into action. And once we move from desire to be generous to actually being generous, guess what? Something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. We, what, here's what's amazing. You start to see opportunities to be generous everywhere. Once you move from desire and you start putting it into action, you begin to see and be aware of opportunities to be generous everywhere. Now, you might notice this phenomenon taking place. Uh, the last time, I, I know for me, when my Tahoe died and I had, I had to, I got to get a, a, a new vehicle. But you may have noticed this too if you have bought a, a, a vehicle or the last time you purchased a new vehicle. I think it's interesting that as soon as we uh, get a particular car in mind or when we purchase a particular car, guess what happens? I don't have to preach. <laughs> you guys get it. You start to see it everywhere. I was seeing this, this vehicle that I got everywhere. I drive to Sacramento to see my daughter. I saw four or five of them. You start to notice it. As soon as we purchase a new car, it seems like everyone else on the road is driving the same exact car that we are. Todd, am I right? <laughs> you know, in psychology, this is known as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's like, a, it, it's like frequency illusion. It, it's your brain now adjusting to notice, thing, notice things that are now important to you. And I think we all can relate to that. All of those cars were on the road before. You just didn't notice them until you started wanting a particular type of car or bought a particular vehicle. The same thing is true with generosity. The same thing is true when we live generously. Once we start living generously, our brain will start searching for more opportunities to be generous. I mean, how cool is that? How awesome is that? When we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us 
when we activate our generosity, our brain starts helping us as well. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Generous people do generous things. It's the bottom line. It's simple. If it's so simple, why then is that so many of us desire to be generous, but so few of us are actually living out generosity in this world? It's a fair question. There's a story in the Gospels I think might help us answer this question. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. You may be familiar with this story. It's when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 people. I want to take a look at it and read through it. It says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send, you know, you've you got to send the crowds away. Send them away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves from food, some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. What did he say? You give them something to eat. And their response was, we only, you know, here we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. Now I want to set the scene and give you some context for what's happening in this story. Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people who are gathered together to hear him speak, to hear him and to see him. He's teaching and he's healing sick people. The passage tells us that, we're, that there were 5,000 men present. I mean, that's the number we all know. Men, but that doesn't include the women and the children, which means the number was probably, some believe, closer to fifteen to 20,000 if you consider the families that were there. I mean, it's a, nonetheless, 5,000 or 15,000, that's a really big crowd. And as it starts to get late in the day, the disciples come to Jesus with a problem, with a concern. They notice that, you know, it's starting to get dark and people haven't eaten anything. They're hungry. And the disciples are concerned that if the people aren't sent home to get dinner, that they'll be forced to travel at night, which, you know, it, it was dangerous to travel at night. So when the disciples came to Jesus, they weren't complaining. It's, it's actually the opposite. What they were doing is they identified a legitimate need impacting a large group of people. Now, we would expect Jesus at this point to say something like, you know what, guys? You're absolutely right. You're right. Let's send them home. Let's take some time so they can go home and they can get what they need. Or maybe the disciples were thinking Jesus would do some sort of miracle and make sure everyone had food they needed and got home safely at that moment. And the disciples did exactly what every single one of us in this room would have done who believed in Jesus. And they did exactly what anyone who believed in Jesus would have thought and been taught to do. They identified a need, and they brought the need to Jesus. They identified the need, and they brought the need to Jesus. I mean, this is what we're supposed to do, right? This is what the Bible tells us to do. When you see a problem or identify a need, you bring it to Jesus. And when you bring it to Jesus, then you pray about it. 
You pray about it when you, after you bring it to Jesus. This, this is what makes Jesus' response so confusing if that's what we're supposed to do. Listen to what Jesus says in his response. He said this, you give them something to eat. Dude, there's like 15,000 people. Where are we going to get this? He said, you give them something to eat. When the disciples came to Jesus with a problem, Jesus uh, responded by telling the disciples to solve the problem. He doesn't perform a miracle. He doesn't give them a solution. Instead, he, he puts the responsibility back on the, the disciples. And the disciples respond exactly how we, you and me, would probably respond to the same situation. Yeah, but all we have, I'm going to make sure you understand this, Jesus, five loaves of bread and two fish. I think when Jesus puts the responsibility back on the disciples, and I think some of us can relate to this, if not all of us, their first response is to make sure that Jesus understood their limitations. You're asking me to do what? But listen, I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, I know you're God and all. They're talking about loaves and a fish in this story. But really what they're saying is, you ready for this? Listen, Jesus, we hear what you're saying. We know what you're asking us to do. But the bottom line is, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. Have you ever felt this way? You see a problem in the world, you see a need in your neighborhood, you, you identify an opportunity to live generously, and what's the first thought that comes to your mind? I'd love to help, but you know what? I don't even have enough for me. I would love to meet that need, but I don't have enough. Maybe, maybe for some it's, I, I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough influence. What do we do? We identify opportunities to be generous, and then we, we like the disciples, allow our limitations to keep us from taking any action. This is the answer to the question I asked earlier. Why does our desire to be generous not translate into actual generosity? I believe the real reason is because we allow our limitations to stop us. But Jesus does not, you know, Jesus is not letting the disciples off the hook. He doesn't say to them, oh, you know what, you're right, I guess there's too many people and not enough food. 
Let's pack it in, guys. Instead, you know, instead of like you guys doing what I'm asking you to do, let's just make excuses and make up a reason why we got to send everybody home. He doesn't do that. This is what he does instead. He gives them a very specific instruction. Remember, you give them something to eat. Cool idea, but all we have are five loaves and two fish. Is it fish or fishes? Just testing you. See if you're still with me. All we have is a happy meal. And this is what Jesus says. He says, bring them here to me. Bring what you have to me. Now don't miss this. Jesus tells the disciples to bring what they have and to give it to him. They have five loaves of bread and two fish, and this is all they have to feed a crowd of almost 20,000 people. Now, the disciples aren't wrong in their assessment of the situation. They do not have enough food for that large of a group. That is a fact. The mistake the disciples make, and I think we do this as well. This is the mistake the disciples make. The mistake the disciples make is looking at their limitations instead of looking to the Lord. They're so focused on what they don't have, they fail to see what they really do have. And what do they have? They have Jesus Christ in the flesh sitting right there. They have Jesus sitting right there with them. And look at what happens when the disciples look past their limitations and they bring what they have to Jesus. It says in verse 12, say it with me, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. Isn't that amazing? Something miraculous happens. Jesus does what the disciples could never do on their own. We have proof. But he doesn't do it until, get this, he doesn't do it until the disciples take the first step. You with me so far? Okay. He doesn't do it until the disciples bring it to him is it possible jesus has amazing things in store that he wants to do in this world is it is it possible i mean is is it possible that jesus wants to take our effort whatever little we have to give time attention resource money words thoughts attention whatever 
Is it possible that Jesus wants to take our effort and multiply it in ways far beyond anything that we, you and I, can possibly imagine? Is it possible Jesus wants to do all of these things, but he's waiting for you and me to take a step, to take the first step? Is it possible? I love this quote from a, he's a really old dude, not not what this is, his name's St. Augustine. And he said this, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. God is waiting on his people to move from desire into living a life of generosity. To actually, you know, to actually be generous. And much as he did with the loaves and the fishes, when we take a step towards generosity, guess what will happen? He's going to multiply it. He's going to multiply our efforts. Now, for all of you people who love formulas and like to logistically think through some things, I got a formula for you. It says this, what we give plus who God is equals enough. What we give plus who God is equals enough, and dare I say, equals even more than enough. It really is this simple. If we have the faith to look past our limitations and bring what we have to God, He will use our generosity to change the lives of people. And it doesn't just change the lives of other people. This type of faithful generosity changes our lives as well. Not only does it bring us closer to the heart of God, would you believe if I said it also benefits us physically and emotionally? It it even helps us physically. According to one study by the Stony Brook University School of Medicine in New York, they said this, generosity lowers our blood pressure. Generosity lowers our risk of dementia. Generosity lessens our anxiety and our depression. It reduces our cardiovascular risk and increases our overall happiness. These physical changes do not only take place in the person being generous, but they also affect the recipient of generosity. The bottom line is this, church, activating our generosity makes everything better. Everything. It makes everything better. And and friends, God has so much He wants to give us. He has so much He wants to do through us. He's, all he's doing, he's waiting on us to take a, a faithful step towards generosity. And I promise you, what he does with your generosity will blow you away. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. So here's the million dollar question. How do we do it? <laughs> 
How, how do we move from desire for generosity into active generosity? How do we do it? There are multiple answers to this question, but today I want to share one action step with you. One action, step, one action step that I believe if you take this one action step, you will see God move in ways that you've never seen Him move before. You'll see God move in powerful ways. Here's the deal. If you want to activate your generosity, for many of us in this room, here's the key. Just start small. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. You're not going to change the world by one small act. But one small act after another small act after another small act. I mean, even the pyramids were built brick by brick, right? Start small. Start somewhere. That's it. All we have to do is start with something small and, and simple. Many times we delay generosity because we're waiting for the bigger and better opportunity to come along. I never, you know, and some of you Bible scholars out there, whenever I read God's word, I've, I've, I've um, you know, I don't see anywhere that only give when it makes a significant difference. I don't know where it says that. And I know, you know, some of us in this room, oh, I only do what the, the Lord instructs me to do. Or I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit to lead me and tell me I need to do this. Again, I, don't, I didn't know that that was a qualification to live a generous life. Because you were made whole and complete as soon as you surrendered your life to Christ. And you were given everything you needed to live this life fruitfully and generously. I believe that God is providing opportunities for generosity right where we are, no matter where you are. And we can start with the people, the people right around us that we see every day. And here's the best part. If you are faithful in the small things, you know what will happen? God will keep providing you with greater opportunities. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24, paraphrase, it says, the world of the generous get larger and larger. And there's a back half to it, the world of the stingy. But I want to focus on the benefits of being generous. The Bible tells us that when we, when we become generous, the world gets bigger and the opportunities become more frequent. So start right where you are. Don't allow your limitations. Don't allow your limitations to keep you from giving what you have to God. Trust Him to multiply your faithful efforts. Move from a desire. Move from desire for generosity to actually living out generosity. Don't make a plan. Step in faith. Step into action. If you do, I can promise the results will be more than you can possibly imagine. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Listen, church. 
God, I want you to understand, hear my words. God is waiting. God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you. All you have to do, ready for this, is do something. Do something. And I want to end with the prayer that we introduced last week. And before I do, I want to make known, for some of us in this room, we don't understand the concept of generosity because we've never surrendered our lives to the one who has been most generous. What I know to be true in my own life is I can't give out what I don't receive. You cannot give something that you've never received. God gave His Son. Jesus gave His life for you. That is ultimate generosity. John 15, 9, 17 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, that you love each other in the same way I have loved you. How can you love other people if you've never received the love of Christ? There's no greater love than to lay down or lay down one's life for one's friends. Get this. Jesus says, "You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a, a master doesn't confide in his slaves." Now you are my friend, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command, that you love each other. And friends, if you've never experienced the love of Christ, if, you, if you've never experienced this friendship, this generous friendship of Jesus, laying down his life for you, I want to invite you this morning to accept that generosity today. Accept the grace and the love of Christ. He laid down his life for everything that you and I deserve. And all you have to do is openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Apostle Paul says, you will be saved. And at that very minute, you will be equipped with everything you have to live a life that flourishes, that is fulfilled, and that is fruitful. And you will receive what you need to live generously. Not because of what you do, but because of who he is in you. Believe in your heart. That's all you have to do. I don't need to lead you in that. No one needs to lay their hand on you. You just have to uh, do what the Apostle Paul says. Declare that Jesus is Lord. Surrender yourself to him. Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. And now for all of us, I want to pray that prayer we prayed last week. Father, I want to experience the joy that comes from being generous. I want to experience 
what it's like to live a life of generosity. And I ask, Father, today for an opportunity to be generous, that you will put an opportunity right in front of me today. And that I will recognize it, and not just recognize it, but I will have the boldness and the courage to jump in and give where there is a need. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said? Amen. Let's worship.